Hi, thanks for coming. So this is a big portion of the Torah where we, it's, it's, it's maybe the headquarters uh, in the whole Torah of, of, of mistakes and brokenness. It's called Parshas Ki Sisa, and there's a lot to talk about. Um, but before then, I just want to share with you uh, something that happened to me uh, yesterday morning uh, before Shul and Shabbos, just something that, that put a smile on my face, so I just want to just uh, share it with you. So I'm having a, I'm having um, like a glass of tea and, 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 and donuts with my children before going to shul Shabbos morning. You know, we said the bruchas and everything like that and just a little, little sustenance for the, for the davening. And, um, and uh, you know, I'm sitting with my, with my eight-year-old and my, my five-year-old and they're in their pajamas and, and everything like that and they have a big chocolate donut, each one of them in, in, in each hand. And, and uh, the eight-year-old is asking me a lot of different questions about uh, Mashiach and the base of Migdash and, 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 and the resurrection of the dead, Tichiyas HaMesim, you know, all these things. So, so I, I mentioned to him that, you know, after the base of Migdash is, is rebuilt, the third base of Migdash, there's... there's an opinion that, that the resurrection of the dead doesn't happen right away, that it actually, it actually happens quite a time afterwards. You know? And there he is in his pajama with his donut, and he says, I hold by the opinion that it happens right away. <laughs> <laughs> and then my five-year-old sitting on the cushions with the donut in her hand, she says, I also hold by that opinion. <laughs> so... So I like that. Um, uh, anyway, so brokenness, brokenness. So, so the this this week we're dealing with the Chet Eagle, the sin of the golden calf, and also uh, Moshe Rabbeinu's reaction to it, which is the the smashing of the tablets, the smashing of the luchos. And, and I want to get into that. I just want to start with, with another aspect of brokenness that's also in the Parsha, which is the very beginning of the Parsha, there's a, there's a census taken of the Jewish people, and we have a, we have a, a rule in Torah, which is that you don't, when you, when, you, when, you, when you count the people in the room, or if you're going to number the number of people uh, among the Jewish people, you, you don't count them directly, because that actually puts a bad eye on them. How and why is, is, a, disc, is a discussion in itself. Um, but, but maybe an, another point in it is that people themselves are not numbers. People are not numbers, period, end. So if you actually want to count people, the way you, you have to do it in a little more of a creative way. And the way that they do it in the Torah here is each person gives half a shekel. And you count the shekels, and since each person gives a half a shekel, you've got a, you've got a, um, you know, you know how many people are there. Census. For the census, yeah. So, now, the, the, the half a shekel itself was not a broken coin. It wasn't literally a shekel sawed in half. But yet the, the rabbis, Think of it in those terms. 
they do think of it in those terms, that it is, that it is this, this um, manifestation of incompleteness. And there, there are many beautiful commentaries on what that manifestation of incompleteness is. In other words, I'm, I'm half and, and God is the other half. Or I'm half, but I'm, I'm an individual, but just like a wave, the relationship between a wave and the ocean itself. A wave is a manifestation of individuality. It arises from the ocean, but simultaneously it draws its identity from the, from the ocean itself. That's the relationship between an individual and the community. You are who you are, but you are also just a wave peeking up from the ocean. You're an individual, but in relationship to the community, which also gives you your identity as well. So the half of shekel in, in, in that instance, it's you, your half, and the community is the other half. So these are all different ways of understanding this imagery in, in, in the classic, in the classic uh, context. I want to say something else, which is that which is that on another level, I think the Torah is saying, you think you're money? <laughs> you want to define yourself as money? We're breaking the connection between you and money. In other words, I'm counting you, and here's your money. The money is over here, and you're over there. And we're breaking the connection between the two. In other words, when we make a census, what are we doing? We're counting you. You think you count because of your money? That your worth is in direct connection with your money? So we're breaking that connection between the two. There's a point that I want to keep on making, actually. Which is just, just to be sensitive to one thing. I want very much that, that we Jews, for our own selves and for the whole world, should reclaim the definition of what it means to be rich. And that we should reown that word rich. And we shouldn't allow it to be continue to be misused by the world. It says, who is the rich person? A person who is happy with what he has. A happy, happy with their lot. That's the definition of rich. There's no dollar sign connected to that definition. We know many people who are very wealthy and who are miserable, and many people who have basically nothing and who are joyous. It has to do with you. It has to do with your level of appreciation and your level of gratitude. There's a very toxic expression that's caught on, and we have to try to uproot this, which is people say, do you know how much he's worth? A hundred million dollars. Whatever, that's what he's worth? Well, it's horrendous. It's horrendous. No, no one should be allowed to say that anymore in a conversation, however innocently. People say it innocently. They're not trying to, you know, make some sort of, you know, point by that, that a person is only sheer the value of their money. But that consciousness has so penetrated our minds that it's come out in our speech and that's what we communicate to each other. So, so if we can eradicate that, and if we can use the word wealthy, he's wealthy, or he has that amount of money, 
but reserve rich for the way it's really meant, then we can begin to correct some of the more corroded aspects in the, you know, plumbing of the zeitgeist. Right, so, so one shouldn't think that being happy with it, what you have should be, um, should be a, uh, you know, a uh, anti-motivational tool. One has to strive always, constantly, constantly. Um, but, but nonetheless, to, be, to have gratitude for where they are simultaneously. Um, so thank you, that's, that's, that's an important distinction. No one should get the wrong impression. Okay, so now, now let's go further into this notion of Moshe breaking the luchos. So, first of all, we have to understand that when, when the Jews worship the golden calf, there's a very, very interesting thing that happens right away, which is that Moshe, after he smashes the luchos, he comes down and he pulverizes the golden calf. He smashes it to bits. He grinds it up into, into basically into powder. He mixes it with water. And anyone who drank it, or anyone who participated, had to drink this mixture. Now, those of you who are familiar with the Torah will know that, well, that sounds exactly like something else. That's the, that's the mesota. The, the woman who's been warned not to be warned by her husband not to be in seclusion with, with a man other than her husband, and is found again in seclusion with a man after she's been warned, the same man, you know, so, or maybe it's a different man, I don't know, whatever it is, but she, she repeats this, this thing, then she goes to the base of Migdash, and as Reb Shlomo explained it, this was a way for her, if she was innocent, to be able to prove her innocence, which is a very different, um, a very different mindset. A lot of people understand this as something vindictive against women, and it's actually, it's actually not that. If you if you look more deeply into it, it's a way where she basically would have no way to defend herself whatsoever. I mean, she's she's been nailed. She's she, she, she made a mistake, she was warned, and then she repeated the offense, but she was innocent that time. This is a way where she could redeem her good name and, and prove her innocence when otherwise she, she'd had no way of proving her innocence. Um, and of course, if she weren't innocent, that, that would come out as well. Um, but the point I'm trying to make here is, is, you know, many times we've discussed the different dynamics of our relationship with God. And, you know, the, 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 the more classic ways that we tend to think of it are a father to a child or a master to a servant. But there is this, this mode, which is very much part of the Torah, that is um, exemplified in Shir Shirim, which are two lovers, which is which is a very, very deep and, and, and beautiful aspect of our relationship with Hashem. This level of intimacy, of connection. And look, look how you see it explicitly presented in the Torah in terms of the fixing of the golden calf. That the, 
that when we worship this idol, and what the whole mistake was with the idol, and again, the, the great commentators say, it wasn't really idol worship, we didn't really think that this was the God who took us out of Egypt. We, we didn't think that, but what happened was, we thought Moshe was dead, and we thought that we were without a leader, and we wanted that in-between point, but there were also overtones of idolatry that we wanted we wanted God to manifest himself in this world in terms of different physical checkpoints that we could connect to and it you know there there were there was very much this idolatrous overlay, but we didn't actually think this was god that's a that that, that that's an important point nonetheless. Nonetheless, how does Moshe Rabbeinu fix this? What is, what is, what is idol worship? Idol worship, avodah zorah, means strange worship. You know, if there's only one God, and God sees you sort of like bowing down to something other than Him, that's strange. That's strange. You know, the Kutzka Rebbe says something so beautiful. He says, you know what, you know what idol, you know what idol worship is? He says, he says, allowing, allowing God to be strange to you. <laughs> allowing that, act, or to be a stranger to God. To be a stranger to God. Because if there's only God, how could you be a stranger to God? If there's only God, how can God be strange to you? So, so how does Moshe go about fixing this relationship? It's very personal to Moshe. It's very, very personal. It's exactly how one would repair someone, a lover, a, a, a spouse, who's suspected of adultery. I mean, isn't that fascinating that that's Moshe's mindset? I mean, if you, I don't know what more to say about that. Because if you say, okay, well, it's, you know, Shir Shirim, that's, that, that model, that's, it's Shlomo HaMelech, that's not, okay, that's many years after the Torah. Okay, I understand it's part of the Torah, but it's many years after the Torah. This is Moshe Rabbeinu at the most critical point in terms of Jewish history. We've just gotten the Torah. We've made our first mistake, a giant mistake. That's still reverberating. The Chachamim say, the sages say, this mistake is reverberating till this day. That there's no tikkun, that there's no punishment, there's no fixing that comes down to the children of Israel to this day that doesn't have a little taste of the sin of the golden calf in it. The retribution for the sin of the golden calf in it. That's what it says. So this is Moshe Rabbeinu saying, you went with another lover. You went with another Spouse, you who are married to God. Again, how Moshe, how Moshe viewed it in terms of us. So just how central that aspect is. Okay, so let's keep on going. Because I want to get to the luchos. So Moshe Rabbeinu smashes the luchos. So this is, this is awesome. Because it says it was written with the finger of God, and they were these miraculous stones that floated in the air and had 
Tons of miracles associated with them. Tons of miracles. And it says at the end of the Torah that Hashem, it says that Moshe did something, it says, that was wondrous before the eyes of Israel. Le'enei kol Yisrael, before the eyes of all Israel. And you look at, Rashi brings down right there that what was, what did Moshe do that was wondrous before of all of Israel? He smashed the luchos. And if you look at the Rashi there, it says that Hashem said, Yeshkach! <laughs> Hashem liked the fact that he smashed the luchos. So here's the most precious thing, literally this, this, you know, congealed aspect of, of, of the highest aspects of the heaven that got brought down, crystallized into this world. I mean, the most awesome treasure ever. And they got smashed. And God loved it. And it was in reaction to the golden calf. So I wanted to say this. This is from me, just, I think on a deep level. Why did Moshe do it? So there are many answers, but I want to say maybe something new here. Which is that Moshe made a calculation. If they worship the golden calf, which was a physicalization of God, how much more so were they going to end up worshiping the tablets themselves? And so he smashed them. Now we have to develop this further so, so that I'm communicating to understand fully what this means. You see, there's a religion today very popular religion, many, 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 tens of millions, I think there are a billion adherents. And one of the cornerstones of this religion is that after the Beis Amigdash, after the Holy Temple was destroyed, that God rejected the Jews, God forbid. That he canceled his relationship with the Jews, which is ridiculous. It never happened. That the absence of these stones, the structure of stones, somehow, because they were broken, somehow they claim that God's relationship with us was also broken. Which is ridiculous. And goes against many, 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 many sukkim in the Torah, which says that God will never, ever, ever, ever cancel his relationship with the Jewish people. The question is, what happens after you make a mistake? What happens after you make a mistake? What happens after you break something, you smash something, a relationship, an opportunity, part of your own life's work or goals? What happens after something gets broken? So Moshe Rabbeinu is showing us, after we made this mistake by smashing the luchos, which was the headquarters of our covenant with God, the, the representation of our covenant with God. He smashed it to show, don't you know it's not just, it's not just this. You have a relationship with the one above. That never ends. This can break and your relationship with God is still there. It doesn't stop. It never stops. Turn to God. You want to repair this? And we did repair it. We got another set of tablets. 
which didn't break and are hidden away to this day. You want to repair your relationship? Go to God directly. But I want to go deeper still. The Katska Rebbe says something. It's a landmark Torah. He says, a person is capable of even turning mitzvahs into avodah zorah. Now this is very hard to understand. How could you ever turn a mitzvah into idol worship? And he says that some people become so focused on the mitzvah itself and on the performance of the mitzvah itself and on the ritual of doing the mitzvah itself that they lose sight of the fact that this mitzvah is a way of connecting them to God and that that's the point of the mitzvot. We need the mitzvot. The mitzvot are absolutely necessary. But we have to understand that the mitzvot, as Reb Shlomo put it, are divine pathways. They're the vehicles through which we connect to God. We need follow-through. If you ever if you ever watch baseball, or if you ever watch golf, or anything like that, you always hear people talk about people swinging the bat. Oh, he's got great follow-through. If you don't follow through, it's just a check swing. You know, if you ever, golfing also, they talk about, ah, his magnificent follow through. People have to understand that you haven't finished the mitzvah if you just did it. You need the follow through, which is now I'm connecting the performance of this mitzvah to my relationship to God. And that's called dveikaskite. That's called cleaving to God. It's absolutely necessary. That separates the minor leaguers and the major leaguers in terms of Jews. You do the mitzvah and then you connect to God or you're connecting to God throughout the entire process. But you don't just do the mitzvah and now I've done, I am a robot. (laughs) I have done said mitzvah, lulav, shaken. (laughs) You know, that's, that can't... That can't be it. Because <laughs> then you have a relationship with a twig, not with God. <laughs> okay, I'll give you an interesting example. Maybe more on the negative side. So, so just very simply, you put a coin in the, in the pushkin, the tzedakah box, and you say... And you make a prayer. Please, God. Please, you know, God, I love you. You know, I hope this is pleasing to you. Or please bless someone with their wife or with children or with a shidduch or with a job or whatever it is. You you make a prayer. You you, you personalize every mitzvah. You you speak to God after you perform a mitzvah or even during the mitzvah. And you you do that. Um, There's an interesting story where... um, Someone, I've shared it with you before, someone, I, I don't remember who, visited a big rabbi who was in the hospital. And they, the, the person who was doing this meant well, I'm sure, but it just was, uh, you know, spiritually undeveloped. And made it clear to the person they were visiting in the, in the hospital that they were there in order to do the mitzvah of visiting the sick. 
And, you know, thus sort of undermining the entire good that comes from just the concern and everything like that. And the person, the rabbi there, who understood that this person was coming just to perform a mitzvah as opposed to express caring in a relationship with the person who was sick in bed, said back to this person, I am not your, I am not your lulav to shake. In other words, in other words, there was not, with this person who meant very well, clearly, there was not this follow-through. They didn't understand that, that you, you, you show up and by showing up you're able to connect to the person and, and everything like this. You know, I, I can't help but to think of this story also on a, on a different level, but in terms of visiting the sick and, and, and doing person-to-person mitzvahs in general. Reb Shlomo was in the hospital. Um, I think it was when he was having his pacemaker put in. I'm not sure. But I guess some doctor came to his uh, hospital room and found that he was not in his hospital bed. So where is he, right? He's just had heart surgery. And they found that he was going from room to room doing the mitzvah of Bikr Cholim, of visiting the sick around the hospital. And they said, the, the, the person said to him, what are you doing? You know, you're, you yourself are sick. You have to be in your hospital bed. What are you, what are you doing? And he said back to them, no, you don't understand. If I'm, when I'm better and I'm visiting them, then it's a rabbi or rather a well person trying to make a sick person feel better. But right now I'm also sick. And now I can relate to them and I can pick them up in a way that I can't do otherwise. So in other words, just utilizing wherever a person is, wherever a person is. I, I'll tell you another story. It's, it's, again, it's tangentially related, but hopefully you'll see the point. I have the, the pleasure, those of you who are sort of um, comedy fans will know the name. John Cleese um, is, was one of the heads of Monty Python and is, in comedy circles, is really considered one of the all-time greats. And he was uh, making an appearance on Third Rock from the Sun when, when I was on it. And, you know, it was like a big deal. John Cleese is going to be on the show. This was a very, very big deal. And, um, and uh, everyone wanted to meet him and, you know, just tell them how... how Big a fan they were because he's a he's a he's a legend, you know, and um, and uh, I I was I had to be someplace I don't remember why exactly, and so I was I was late to show up on the set where he was, and so there was already a crowd of people around him. There must have been twenty people around him or something like this. So I was on really on the periphery of the of the crowd, and somehow I was introduced to him. But it was well. You know, he was completely surrounded by, by other people we had already met, and he was, you know, meeting everyone for the first time anyway. So I thought, well, you know, any opportunity that I would have had to have connected with him is, it's come and gone now, and, and that's what it is. Anyway, the next day I walked onto the set, and um, I guess it was a time that wasn't as busy, and he was sitting behind a table, you know, with his script or doing whatever he was doing. And I walked by and he said, hi, David. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I mean, you know, I think he went to Cambridge or Oxford or whatever. I mean, he's, he's a highly intellectual guy. But 
But that aside, somehow, somehow, he had taken, somehow he had remembered my name. And it meant so much to me. And I thought about it afterwards, and I realized, you know something? He, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to take the time to do that. And he's not an idiot. He knows how, how highly esteemed, how, 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 how greatly people prize him. And I realized, you know what? He was using his celebrity to lift other people up. Like, how awesome was that? I was so impressed by, by him, you know? I was really amazed. Um, so, so, returning to the point, the point is having this follow-through. Understanding that the mitzvah doesn't just end with the performance of the mitzvah itself. That the mitzvahs are divine pathways that God gives us to connect with him directly. And just like a golfer needs that follow-through in his swing, and a home run hitter needs that follow-through with, with their swing, so too, every time we do a mitzvah, we have to have that follow-through. And Moshe Rabbeinu, by breaking the luchos, was showing us that, that you think that your entire relationship is just centered on, on this, you have an ongoing relationship with God. And that even when you make a mistake... Look to God. Your relationship with God is still there even amidst the brokenness. It doesn't end. You still connect with God. God is always there. Now I want to show you another representation of this. When we get to the end of the Torah, and we mention the end of the Torah references the smashing of the luchos. So it's very appropriate to say, what do you do when you reach your end? I'm at my end right now. I'm at my end. I can't go any further. I'm at the end of the Torah, right? It just after that, it just ends, right? I'm at my end. Everything is smashed. So what do I do? So, you know, on a very, very deep level, the Torah is black fire, written on white fire. The black fire are the letters of the Torah. The white fire are the spaces in between the letters. In fact, it's quite amazing, we have a tradition that there's 600,000 letters in the Torah. And I'll tell you something really amazing. I saw this in the Bala Torah, which is that, so you have 600,000 root souls of the Jewish people. And when Hashem is saying to Moshe Rabbeinu that he's going to wipe out the Jews and start over with Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay? And of course Moshe, well, Hashem hints to Moshe that he never wanted to do that to begin with. And he hints to Moshe that Moshe should pray that, that Hashem shouldn't do that. And of course, Moshe picks up on the hint and prays, and then Hashem goes, okay, I'm not going to do it. But according to the Talmud, Hashem never wanted to do that to begin with. But that aside for a moment, in the moment, Hashem says to Moshe, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Now, the Balatorum points out that in the phraseology of that, I haven't got the exact word in front of me, 
there's a key word where it says, I'm going to make you into a great nation that usually is spelled without the letter Vav. And here it's spelled with the letter Vav. And the Balaturim says, the inclusion of this letter Vav, everyone knows Vav is the Gematria 6, is a hint that Hashem is going to start over with Moshe and make from Moshe this 600,000 souls that are currently with the Jewish people. In other words, when he starts over with Moshe, he's going to restore through Moshe or Moshe's descendants or however Hashem planned to do it, these 600,000 root souls again. All with this letter Vav that's hinted at. Again, we always talk about the infinity of the Torah, how the Torah is a blueprint, not just of everything that ever happened and ever will happen, but everything that could have happened, every byway that we didn't go down, is also imprinted in the Torah as well. This Vav here was like, wow, that was a gateway down a path where the whole Jewish people get wiped out. And Moshe starts again as, I guess, Abraham Avinu or something. I mean, however that would have happened. I mean, he still would have been Moshe. And then somehow the Jewish people would have been rebuilt and the 600,000 root souls would have come back into the world. That's a, that's, a, that's a byway, that's a road we didn't go down. But that vav there is like this doorway into an alternate way we could have gone. And the Bala Torah opens our eyes to this amazing thing, but it just tells you how amazing the Torah is. Again, to repeat, it's not just everything that happened and everything that's going to happen. It's also everything that could have happened. Awesome. 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 Torah is infinite. It's infinite. You know, I heard in the name of a big rabbi that if you try to do something, you try to do a favor for someone, let's say. Let's say you try to get someone a job, something like this. You try to introduce someone to a marriage partner, something like this. And it doesn't happen. But you legitimately tried. There's some, now, I, I don't know how literally to take this, so I'm, I'm just sharing with you an idea, so just hear the idea. There's some alternate universe, and I don't mean that in a science fiction way, right? Just before I finish the thought, just for you to understand, we talk about the, the ashes of Yitzchak. Now we know Isaac wasn't burned at the time of the Akedah. Nonetheless, because Avraham Avinu intended to follow the will of God as he understood it at that time, and was going to do it, in some cosmic spiritual realm, the ashes of Yitzchak exist because he intended, he, w- he was going to do it. So, there is some way in which that mitzvah was actually fulfilled. So with that as an um, introduction, if you intended to do something good for someone, and it doesn't take place in this world for whatever reason, the two people didn't get along or it wasn't the right circumstances or whatever it is, but you try to do it, there is some spiritual realm where it took place. Where it took place. Where your chesed was complete. Where your act of kindness actually was complete. Okay. So what do you do when you reach the end? You're at your end. You're at the end of the Torah. There's no place else to go. Remember the last verse of the Torah is referring to the smashing of the luchos. There's nowhere else to go. But you know what? Maybe you've run out of black fire. 
But what comes after the last Lamed? Ah, there's more white fire. You return back to God. You return back to God. You return back to God. Because you know something? Maybe the base of Mikdash is smashed to this day. Maybe the Luchos, the first Luchos anyway, got smashed. But your relationship with God is still there. And now I want to say something I think very deep, which is an understanding of something from Pirkei Avos. It's chapter 2, verse 13, and it's in the name of um, Yochanan ben Zakkai, who is really the leader of the Jewish people at the time of the destruction of the second Beis HaMikdash. So it's really very appropriate that we're invoking his teaching right now in terms of talking about brokenness. Because he's the one who took over at one of our greatest moments of brokenness after the destruction of the second temple. He says, which is the path that a person should pursue? So he had special students. One says, a good eye. Another says, a good friend. Another says, a good neighbor. Right? And Rabbi Lazar ben Arach says, a good heart. And one other says, Rabbi Shimon says, one who considers the outcome of a deed. And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai says, you know what, I say like the person who says a good heart, because contained within a good heart, someone who really creates a good heart for themselves, all the other teachings are included in that, someone who has a good heart. Now I heard from someone who said in the name of one of the um, uh, leading Kabbalists in, in uh, Israel, uh, Rabbi Brenwein, he said that um, someone who has heart trouble, that it's a segula to go to the gravesite of Rabbi Lazar ben Arach, who's the one who says that a good heart is, is the path to cling to. So that that's a, that's a, that's a holy place to pray. Um, and everyone knows when you pray at the grave of a tzaddik, you don't pray to the tzaddik, right? You pray to God in the merit of the tzaddik. Anyway, just a piece of information. So, so look at another level within this. A person needs a good heart, and basically all the other teachings, if I can expand the thought, the Torah itself, the whole Torah is contained with someone who pursues that path. So, you reach your end. A person reaches their end. You get to the last letter of the Torah, which is a Lamed. You turn to God, right? Because after everything is smashed, who do you turn to? You turn to God. That's the white fire. You turn to God. And then you continue on. Well, what's the first letter of the Torah? And it's, it's base, which spells out the word lave, which spells out heart. The Kutzka Rebbe says there's nothing as full as a broken heart. One's heart gets broken, you turn to God, then you make, you start again. You take the last letter of the Torah and you begin again, you connect it to the first letter of the Torah. 
And it spells out lave, it spells out heart. And that, all the Torah is contained within that, from the first letter to the last letter, from the last letter to the first letter. The whole Torah is contained within that, just like Yochanan ben Zakkai says, contained within the good heart is everything. We said in Sefer Shmos, the book of Exodus, we've got these themes. It begins with going from slavery to freedom. Then the next major section of the book is talking about the construction of the Beis Amigdash, of the tabernacle, of the Mishkan. And now in this week's Parsha, we have the individual who builds the Mishkan, the first mention of Betzalel, who knows how to combine all the letters, who's been blessed with this outrageous soul. It says, by the way, that he was 13 years old. He was a bar mitzvah boy. Betzalel was 13. Betzalel is the constructor. You know, on a very deep level, it says that your Yetzir Tov, your positive inclination enters a person at the time of their bar or bat mitzvah. So for a boy, it would be 13 years old. So a person, according to this, is really given free choice for the first time at the time of their bar mitzvah. So Betzalel, as a 13-year-old, this is the moment of free choice in a person's life. And it's the first time the person himself that we're not talking about the blueprint of the Mishkan anymore. We're talking about the individual who makes it, who builds it. That's us. That's us. We're given the free choice. In other words, we go from slavery to freedom. Now God says, how are you going to put it all together? That's the discussion of how to build the Mishkan. How are you going to put it all together? And now comes Parsha's Kitsisa, which is talking about when you make your first mistake. I'm starting to put it together. Now I made a mistake. Now everything is broken. Now what does God say? Okay, you've got free choice. Now you're the one who can put it all together. That's why we've got Betzalel at age 13. The beginning of free choice. The individual who actually makes it happen. That's you. That's us. With freedom comes the power to make mistakes. God knows that. God knows that. We make mistakes. The question isn't, are you going to make a mistake or not? That's not the question. The question is, when you make a mistake, what are you going to do? When you come face to face with your own imperfection, How are you going to react? This is the essence of life. How are you going to react? And the answer is to go forward and to rebuild. To connect the Lamed to the white fire. To the bays of Breshis. To reconstruct your heart. And we know that the heart itself is a mishkan. It's the tabernacle within us. 
And we know the Mishkan itself was a microcosm, a miniature of the entire universe. When we rebuild our heart, when we rebuild the Mishkan within us, the sanctuary within us, when we make that perfected, that rebuilt microcosm of the entire universe, the whole world falls back into place. God doesn't expect perfection from us. But He does expect us not to quit. Let me conclude with this teaching from Shlomo Amalekh. He said, who is the righteous person? Now if you were to ask me who is the most righteous person, I would tell you the person who never makes a mistake. So that's not what Shlomo Amalekh says. He says something so much more powerful. He says, the righteous person is the person who falls down seven times and gets back up. Seven times. It's the person who never stops, who never quits. Who never quits. Not the person who doesn't make mistakes. The person who never stops rededicating themselves. And that's us. And what we'll find is, just like the Bays of Breshis, the Bays also stands for Bayit. And that Bayit will be the third Bays of Mikdash. We should see it speedily in our days. Have a great week.